the audience. We are live. Our audience, welcome to questions you never thought you could ask in church. I am uh, just a guy here on the show. Steve Wells is my name. Andrew Metcalf to my left. Dave Cadini to my far left, straight across. Like depends on which way I go. Yeah, it does. It does. Kent's right. Producer Kent Jones. I won't wave today. Oh come on! (laughs) At least wave to us. Hey, Hey, Kent. So good to be back. Yeah, good to have you back, Steve. Tina, was it fun having Tina? It here? was fun having did Tina. It did you have fun having Tina? Did it yeah, surprise sure. you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it did a little bit. Good. Yeah, good. Yeah, good surprise though. I felt like you probably guys, you probably don't get enough like quality time together. Yeah, you don't even have to put an adjective on that. It's just time. So I'm right. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do you a favor here. Send your wife in for me. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Show up. I'm like, hey, what are you doing here? You know? <laughs> she, yeah, she, she did a great job, too. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so shout out to Tina. We should today. have her back again. Yeah, guest host all the way. All we, right. She should be in your spot. Absolutely. You take the week off. Absolutely. We'll ask Tina all the questions. Yeah, yeah. A couple of weeks, we got we to gotta set this up. So this podcast is all about the questions on God, theology, Christianity, comparative religion, spirituality, life, the Bible how they interact. We invite you to text them in or post them on Facebook. We get them and we, uh, we, we just take them in real time on the spot. And uh, that would be, that would be like a total joy watching Tina do Uh, that. I would love to see the creativity that would come out of that. And, uh, it'd be a different flavor. It would be a different flavor. What flavor would it be? Um, Rocky road. No, no, (laughs) I'm, you know, I I see her as like, kind of like, kind of like Riley where she likes to cook and bake and stuff. So it'd be something really like, like deep and rich. Or, yeah. Okay. You know, like comfort food, comfort food. Yeah, all right. All right. Mashed potatoes. All right. So we got to get around and see what this is going to be. Is this going to be like the hearty diet? Is this going to be comfort food? Is this going to be <laughs> just kind of like joy in your mouth, but like sick in your stomach? I mean, what, what's, what's going to kind of like happen out of this one? I don't know. I, it does lead me to a, to another idea though. Like if there's anybody out there, hey, there's Tina right now. That would be a train wreck. She says, <laughs> 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 that's why we want you on Tina. You know, it would be sushi. It would be raw, yeah, you know, was, just raw. Yes. It, but I, I think, you know what, this is just a, an open invite to anybody listening. If you want to come in and be a host, of the show, co-host the show, come in. Get a hold of us. Put your put your info down. We'll get we'll get. In <laughs> Steve is cast on the net wide. I love it. <laughs> Why not? Anyone who wants to join, feel free. Yeah, always welcome. We welcome you to text in your questions today. They're eight one five three one four zero three six three. Again, eight one five three one four zero three six three. If you're listening um, on Facebook, you can catch us at twenty one six the net or at Fellowship of Faith um, that Facebook Facebook page as well. And uh, we got uh, quite an inbox kind of backing up on here, don't we? Well, and, we do. and real yeah. quick though, before we get into like, yeah, yeah, uh, you're aching, right? Yeah. It, well, I've I was gone. I know, I know. I, it's two weeks. I have to so unload these things, gotta, you know. I've got like, thoughts. So before we get going, I, I need you guys. I, I brought a little gift for you guys. Oh, we got a gift today. Oh, okay. No. It started, you know, last uh, two weeks ago, Husker football season. I'm a huge. Nebraska Cornhuskers fans. This was it two weeks ago or three weeks ago when they lost? Two to weeks Illinois? ago, it was three weeks ago. Now Illinois has Illinois. not won yeah. a game since, so which it, doesn't it really bad. say much it for the really Huskers. Bad. Well, yeah. actually, we've won our last two. Now here's the thing: fifty-two to seven. That was a good one. Twenty-eight to three. I mean, not to brag. That's another or anything, good one. Right. So that's a good one. Well, we're we're build we're on a building back. We're, we're building back. Okay. So okay. this week though, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm going to like we have this game coming up, which is if you don't know the history of college football, but we have like 
this is one of the oldest rivalries in college football, which is the Nebraska Cornhuskers and the Oklahoma Sooners. The game of the century at, at one point, which is it's labeled that. Big stuff, big time stuff. So we play them this week for the first time in a long time because they brought back the rivalry. So it's okay. this week. They're rated number three in the country. Okay. Is our chances high? Nah, I, I don't give them a chance at all. But as a fan, I've got to do my part. So I thought, you know what, for the show today, just so that we can <laughs> get some, some. Oh, you were going to shroud us here. Okay, so. Some swag here. So I brought in gifts. Everybody who's listening. Man. i got to pull this over. I can't even look at this. Pull that over. Andrew, you got to put that on. This is great radio, by All the right. way. Just put it up. Radio. It is great, great radio. radio. I've got them Nebraska Cornhusker jackets, right. everyone. <laughs> so here in the studio wearing this. Are you kidding me, man? It's warm. It's hot in here. It's okay. You're going to wear it. Because it's like a size medium. I can't even I was going to say, how are you getting in there? I'm wearing my kids' clothes when they were like seven or something. Because it reminds me of. Chris Farley and Tommy Boy. <laughs> Fat guy in a little right. coat. The, sleeve, the sleeves literally go to his, the mid-forearms. He can't even tell this has a Yeah. Now, the good news right, is Steve, the, the, the N on there stands for knowledge. Yeah, uh, yeah the N is right. for knowledge. Right, right. The big N for big knowledge. Big N, Nebraska. Yep. Right here. Yep. 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 So <laughs> good. Now we now we can continue with now the show. Now we can show. continue with the show. We have we have got our source of power and strength. We are, swag. We are, swag. Yeah, we got our swag. You look good in that. I look good in that. Red's your color, uh, I red's think. Red's my color. Yeah. Yeah, you like the red windbreaker. <laughs> the, the it's great for podcast too. I'll never take it off. It is so noisy whenever you move. Uh, <laughs> I know. Great. Yeah, to our listeners on the show today, you're going to hear the your arms swish 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 every time. <laughs> you're, you're like a T Rex in polyester. He's going to sit like you're in a body cast. Just don't. Move uh, <laughs> just your jaw, man. <laughs> you, ever, you ever see the the George Costanza where he buy, buys this you know really cool suit, but his thighs rub. In it. <laughs> yeah, so you can hear. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah with every step. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I've taken us down a lot of rabbit trails. Holes. Go ahead, Andrew. Okay, well, I'm going to get us into a question. Yeah. Uh, so this is how this is how the this isn't me speaking. This is just what the question says. Last week, I straight up yelled at God for something. Mm. It didn't help me feel reassured. <laughs> Will God forgive me and start giving me some peace and reassurance? Yeah, you ever have that moment? Like, it just it feels so good to dump and vent in the moment. And it's like, oh, yeah, that didn't really solve didn't it. Help, yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, I love the Psalms. You, you know, it's this this prayer book of the Bible. It's these songs of the Bible. And um, really, they've been the the anchor kind of song book and prayer book for, for Jews and Christians ever since. And I think what's so incredible about them is the stuff that the people say in there, the stuff that they accuse God of in there, the stuff that they wrestle with in there, you would never find into a hymn or a contemporary Christian song or, or anything like that. It would be viewed as impious or inappropriate or mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. I like it because it's visceral um, and it's raw and it's real human emotion. And so, yeah, I want to encourage you, who has ever listened out there, thank you so much for asking. And, uh, and I get it. Um, you know, I, I'm not advocating that, that God becomes your verbal dumping spot. Uh, you know, there is a sense of treating God with, with respect and holiness, but we've all been there. And if it happened, you know what? God's big enough to handle it. He's not writing you off. Um, you know, if you're feeling bad about it, do the same thing when you have a, a kind of a blow up session with anyone else you care about. Just go back to them. Say, hey, I didn't talk to you the way I should. I'm sorry. And uh, just just trust that God's forgiveness is there in that place. And uh, he's not writing you off. The relationship is not shipwrecked because he vented on God. So, uh, yeah, great question. Yeah, and I always think that's better to be honest and say what you are thinking and feeling than 
to feel like you can't. I mean, it's not like he doesn't like, know. He, yeah, yeah, I was gonna exactly. say, he, he pretty much knows anyway, so <laughs> you might as well just let it be verbal. <laughs> and see, see what happens. It's probably going to feel good coming out. But then maybe you want to retract that, yeah. And then that doesn't feel so good. Yeah, right, right, That's right. Forget so, me. so what's your personality? Are you more one that like bites their tongue and then comes up with a great like one liner afterwards, like "Oh, I should have said that," mm. and then you stew about it? Or are you more the one who kind of like jumps with God in? or with you, others? Yeah, period. I don't know. You say something and then you feel bad because you took it too far. Um, I think that's something that I've learned over my forty-five years of being alive is that. It's very hard to take things back. Yeah. Um, is that your kind of natural inclination, though? Just kind of go. Yeah, in the moment, it just mm. word vomit, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I don't even know that it's word vomit. It's, I'm going to say something that's probably going to be very, very hurtful. And, yeah. and it may not even be long. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But like I said, you know, after you start to mature over time, you hope anyway, <laughs> and you hold your tongue, you know, it's, it's harder to listen and talk you know so as you guys just sit there and nod your head like you're the wisest because you're just listening <laughs> uh catch 22 right here you asked me to talk about not talking <laughs> I, I would say i'm more on the other side where i won't say anything mm. and then it'll take me hours to like try to craft a text message or an email of like what do i want to say to this to the point where it it seems like I don't have an opinion or don't care about things. Like yeah. I will just sit yeah. in silence during a meeting for an hour mm-hmm. and then add like one sentence at the end. Right. So I get, what about you? It gets me the other way. Where are you at? You know, it's really contextualized. Depends who I'm with. You know, sometimes yeah. I kind of fall into that trap of people pleasing. And mm-hmm. so I'm just trying to keep the peace and be the peacemaker. And so you just kind of go with it. Other times if it, you know, ten, it tends to be the safer I feel around the person, yeah. the more verbally expressive. Mm-hmm. I'll be. Yeah. And I think that's true for yeah. most of us. Yeah. yeah. Cool. That's Which was why my wife hears it all. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I, I think but she's a great sounding that. board, you know, right. because she'll just take it in, you know, and yeah. then she'll be like, oh. but it's catch 22 for them too, because you know, they end up becoming like the, uh, the verbal dump mm-hmm. half the time, mm-hmm. which I think she likes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She okay. likes to talk. All right. So if I'm talking, that gives her a chance to talk. All right. If I'm just sitting here, well, then it's one way conversation and I'm not probably not paying attention. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the attention span on your end. Right. <laughs> I'm definitely the problem. <laughs> uh, let's jump on to something else. Uh, it, there's not really a question in this. It's more of a statement. But I think we <laughs> All right. So we got pontification. It. Happening. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it is true that the future of the church are young people. And I don't think older people don't want change. They would just like to be included. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great statement. And, yeah. I, I don't think it could be universal. I've met a lot of you older people who don't want to change. Well, I meet a lot of younger people who don't want to change either. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think we can be a little uh, overly rich mm-hmm. yeah. with that. But no, certainly. Um, and I think that's why multi-generational church is so important. Younger generations need to learn from the wisdom of the older people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's Those one who have thing been that, 20, 30, 40, 50 years into a path of be it marriage or life or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, yeah that's one of the things I've loved being on the younger end of the church so far in my life um, is getting the knowledge and the wisdom from people who've been in the church for 30 years, who have been just, you know, twice my age. They have so much wisdom to share. You know, it's kind of the coolest thing that I ever see. And, you know, and, and, and I kind of 
am starting to make a point to this when I talk about this because I am closer to 65 now than 25, which is kind of a mind blow, you know, because I don't yeah. feel on that half. But uh, as one who is like older generation now, it's really cool when I see the older generations willing to sacrifice their preferences for the sake of younger generations, yet simultaneously fully investing in the younger generations that they're sacrificing a preference of be it, be it style or topic or way of doing things, you know, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And yet adopting them as their surrogate spiritual children and grandchildren and absolutely investing in them. Yeah. There's something just right in that. Yeah. I, I, uh, so most of our audience doesn't know, but I, so I used to lead a trip down to Branson, uh, Missouri every year. <laughs> and I would take a, a bus full of, of seniors, citizens, yeah. uh, down there. And so now, like I would say some of my closest friends are, are probably over the age of 80 yeah, and, and I love it because they're like you were saying, Andrew, there's a ton of wisdom there mm-hmm. and they'll shoot straight with you. I mean, there's no mincing words. There's no, like, it's just, which I love. You know, because you're not playing games. And the stuff that we tend to get so hot and bothered about. They're like, you know. Let it slide. Been there. Yep. Done that. It's going to be all right. You made it through. Yeah. Right. Right. But one thing that I do know know about that uh, in all the conversations that I've had with them, not one of them would say that, yes, I, I would love to feel older. So, therefore, when it comes to new things in church even, yeah, they may not understand it. They may not agree with it necessarily or want it that way because sometimes you get used to the things that you want more creatures of habit. You know? We all tend to fossilize. Yeah. I mean, at every age, we, yep. we come across an experience and we love yep. it and we want to preserve it. Yeah, but not not one of them says, oh, you know what? This is just, I, I don't want to ever feel younger. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. uh, and I think that's true with all of us, you know, so yeah. anyway. All right, so Steve, I got to apologize. I am like dying of heat right now. I mean, <laughs> I, I appreciate the gesture here, but See, like you know, we're we're what fifteen minutes. That's how in. I know you're. You know what? It's uh, it, it's time. That's, but. that's how I know that you're not a true Husker fan. <laughs> can't even handle. You can't it. handle it. You can't handle it. You will never be able to throw the bone. The red's too wearing, much, man. You're still wearing red though. Ah, <laughs> it's maroon, burgundy. Ron Burgundy over there. here now. Isn't, <laughs> isn't Oklahoma red and white too? No. The Sooners? They're, 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 the Sooners are not red. They're oh. like a crimson. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> Sooners and boomers. Um, okay, next one here. Um, I, again, not, not first person from my perspective, but um, I'm in a committed relationship, but we are not married, and I recently found out I am pregnant. I'm scared to come back to church in fear of negative judgment. Will I still get support if I need it? I love God and was praying for guidance for my fertility and bam, I got pregnant. I see it as a, I see it as a miracle, but others. Yeah. And off the bat, and thank you so much for just the, uh, the vulnerability of this and, and the transparency and off the bat, I want to say congratulations because um, whether or not this came about through, through planned means or uh, like within the context of marriage, the fact is you're having a baby. That's fantastic. And uh, what a gift. Um, a responsibility to be sure about what a gift and the fact that I can just kind of hear it in the tone of this question, the love that you have for this and the eagerness that you have yeah. Yeah. for this child to come. I mean, that's cool. And that's, that's, that's one lucky kid that way. But the specific question I want to circle back to, and I think, and Andrew, you know, make sure I'm getting this correct. Was it, will I get support? Yeah. Will I still get support if I need it? 
you know, I don't know. Assuming from your church. I, I don't know. And um, it, I just got to be blunt on that. I don't know your church. I don't know what church you're going to walk into. And even if you walk into a local church, not everyone thinks, acts, and believes in the same way. Churches by nature are places that are filled with sinners. The biggest mistake I, I see people make when they visit a church is they come in and they think they're the only person that's new or thinks differently. As though everyone else is like out of that Pink Floyd video, you know, we don't need no education, you know, walking in lockstep or something. You like that, by the way? That was beautiful, wasn't it? You know, yeah, I've been practicing that. Um, (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, like as though everyone else is kind of like this automaton locked in as though there's no variety of opinion and that everyone there represents the organization or the belief system or the denomination or something like that. You're just not going to find that, you know? So, there's 300 and what, 80,000 churches in the United States alone. You're going to find a big spectrum. Uh, what, what I would encourage you is this. Find a church where you will be supported. At the same time, don't give up on a church because of a few individuals who look at you the wrong way or say something insensitive or, or something like that. Otherwise, you're just going to have to go live under a rock alone somewhere. I mean, welcome to what community is and what humanity is. Um, you know, certainly within the Judeo-Christian worldview, there's the idea that sex is supposed to be something honored within a marriage covenant. And so, yeah, I mean, you've obviously had sex and that's kind of out of the bounds of what God intended. But the reality of the, the situation is, is churches are meant to be places where people who are not doing things God's way are coming to learn God's way, seek God's way. Um, give their lives to God's way, find his joy and grace in God's way. And we're all supporting each other on the journey, right? Because it's messy yep. and it's hard it and none of us do it perfectly. So uh, great question there, but you know, love that kid. Don't be ashamed of that kid and uh, um, full steam ahead. I don't know how old this question is. So, you know, good luck these next, be it two, three, four, six, 18 eight years. months, 18 <laughs> years. Yeah, right. <laughs> the next 50 good years. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and you know she says or she says, will I get? Will I still get support if I need it? Um, I'd also ask too, like what is, what what support are you looking for? You know, is this emotional support? Is this something that you know you you really want uh, your Christians and, and brothers and sisters to come around you? And as far as prayer support, is it monetary? Like, are you? Yeah, it's a great you know, insight. Yeah, um, what kind of support are we daycare? Talking here? You looking for? I mean, just it could be a number of things, but mm-hmm. I would say that if it's a to me. Um, you know, we're not here to judge. We're here to we're here to love, right? So if it is a if it is a church that isn't doing a lot of these things and are casting you out, well, then great because go find some place that won't do that. Because I don't know that they're acting like the church in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, great question. All right, yeah, all right. Um, let's see. Over the last year, I felt like I lost touch with Christ. I still pray and come to church. I know he's with me every day, but I don't know how to get the feeling of comfort back. Yeah. Yeah. I so appreciate this. Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, what you're sensing and struggling with is is not unique. I have to believe every single Christian, including Jesus, at some point has felt the plateau or a certain sense of staleness or um, uh, just, just the loss of the euphoria mm-hmm. that, that sometimes we have. You know, one of the biggest... Uh, mistakes and and dangers, I think, to people who have experienced God is you want the high to last and highs don't last. That's why they're called highs and not baselines. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's easy. Um, And I meet people and I've had my own journey with this where you almost get addicted Mm -hmm. 
to the spiritual high. And so your spirituality starts taking this perverse turn of chasing the spiritual high rather than chasing Christ. And oftentimes Christ is most present in the lowest points and the hardest points and in the points where things feel the most flat, stale, and neutral. So I would encourage you to do a, a couple of things. A, stop judging your spirituality by your emotional state. Start judging your spirituality and your relationship with God by the promises he's made and seek him in those. B, certainly continue the spiritual practices that you're doing, um, but maybe change them up a bit. Maybe vary how you're doing it if it's getting a little bit rote and bring some creativity into it. C, don't do it in isolation. It's meant to be done in community and everything is more fun in community. Well, almost everything, but uh, um, certainly this is. And there's, there's way too many Christians out here or people seeking God out here that are trying to do it by solo effort. And, and it's hard. It's like, you ever try working out? I mean, you can discipline yourself, but when you go with someone, you know, it's a lot better. And that's far more than just going to church. But D, I'd also encourage some, some critical reflection on it and go, okay, why do I feel stale? What's going on? Because I do know this. The Holy Spirit is often about doing something new. And new doesn't mean all this external stuff where we're just flipping around, you know, to the latest fad or, or, or the latest whim or something like that. But he's constantly calling us deeper and higher. And it gets really easy to get comfortable. I mean, would you guys agree? Mm -hmm. And oh, certainly yeah. comfortable in our relationship with God. And it's almost like, God, you know, I've, I've, I've done enough. I've gone far enough. Don't challenge me anymore. I'm not going to go further in this. And you know what I've kind of learned with God is he really doesn't force you. No. You know, he's not going to drag you kicking and screaming. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's nice to wait. But at a certain point, it starts getting stale and kind of boring. I mean, no, no one goes to Great America, right? Or Six Flags because they like to wait in lines. You know, uh, you kind of want to move on at, at some point. Yeah. And again, I want to reiterate, I'm not talking a whole bunch of external things trying to fill an emotional gap. But what I am talking is evaluate maybe the call of obedience and, and, and the new challenges uh, of, of leaps of faith God might be calling you to make, even within the context in which you're living. And in that place, I think there'll be both challenge, but rejuvenation as well. And certainly talk to your spiritual leader about it too. Let someone coach you and guide you through it. Don't treat it as a, a quick answer by me because uh, there's a lot more that could be talked about here. Yeah, great question. So we, <clears throat> with that, when you were talking about the highs, I, and, and I don't know that if you've ever experienced this, I had a friend that uh, loved the lows. Loved the lows. Loved the lows. You don't hear that too often. The emotional piece of, the, again, emotion, because mm -hmm. he felt, and this guy would sabotage everything about his life. Like, mm. um, by sinning and by doing these things intentionally, because he felt like, well, then at least I'm, I have to be in this repentance mode in this. It keeps you broken and keeps you does. humble. And yeah, you, contrite. Right, right, right. And that was his way of being close to God, which, you know, it's like, well, okay. You, you know, understand I, the I logic, it. but it's such a distortion of the purpose. Really? Yeah. 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 So that's, that's the, that's the extreme lows where he just, I, I like to be in that place. I want, I, he wanted to be in that place. Mm -hmm. So weird. I mean, 
weird, you know, but I get it too. You know? Weird, but I think uh, I think pretty common. I mean, you hear those those jokes a lot in Lutheran circles. I do. I, I hear it a lot with Catholics, mm. um, you, you know, who claim to love guilt or, yeah, right. <laughs> or you, you know right. see guilt mm-hmm. and things like that. And certainly not alone. I mean, you see it in Baptist and non-denoms and everywhere else as well. But yeah, almost. How do I artificially keep myself in right. this place of contriteness of heart? Yeah, because stagnation is boring. You know, and, and if you're just doing things, you know, and you, nothing seems to be changing around you, you're, you're not feeling like you're be, like your relationship is really growing with God because of certain things and whatnot. It's like, man, this is just kind of boring. You, something's got to give here, either the high <laughs> or the low. And it's like, no, I think we should just be OK with the, the narrow road. Staying on the narrow road. <laughs> Does that make sense at <laughs> we are, all? We are smashing metaphors here together. Highs <laughs> and lows and roads. No, but, uh, but I, maybe if I could put it this way, I, I do think there's a lot of us who either want, we, we want constant state existence, um, even emotionally. Take spiritually, spirituality out of this. How many people unconsciously think you're just supposed to be happy all the time? Mm-hmm. Right? That's just not realistic. Not to mention just not healthy, mentally, emotionally, uh, you know, let alone spiritually. And if you kind of accept that, that your emotional and spiritual state is often more like a sine wave, maybe not predictably so, but there's going to be movements up and down as you mm-hmm. face both internal and external things. Right. Yep. Um, gives you, let yourself off the hook a little bit with it, right? Yeah. 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 I think I'm a little weird because... I enjoy those lows as well. Mm-hmm. Like I love sad movies. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't it doesn't need a, a like a nice clean happy ending at the end. Like I like like the sad movies and dramas and like dark stuff because it it I think it makes you think more. Like if you're always in this like kind of happy clappy state, <laughs> I don't know that you're wrestling with things mm-hmm. that that much. Well, and I've seen this happen a lot in church, especially in the evangelical, the modern worship movement and evangelicalism, where where most worship is happy clappy. You know, and, and there just isn't the art of the lament anymore. Mm-hmm. And when you are depressed or broken or hurting, and everyone else around you seems to be happy clappy. You, it's alienating. You just can't identify well. And I've actually heard that from a number of people um, that it almost becomes a deterrent to church yeah. because it, I'm not even talking an artificially manufactured low, but just for whatever reason you might be there. Um, I, I know people who are very depressive by nature. And again, because of what it feels like, they just love to identify with anything that's dark or moody mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why I appreciate the black jacket. Yeah. It's it for you. My, yeah. My, it's for you. Yeah. My gothic personality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> we want to see that one next weekend. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll wear the eyeshadow. Halloween's coming up, man. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, so let's get into, I think a topic, I think that confuses me a little bit. Um, all right. What do you think about deconstructionism and do you teach that? What do I think about deconstructionism and (laughs) do I teach it? Thank you for asking the question. And, uh, you know, actually, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to quote Ferris Bueller on this one. And I'm going to kind of do the best job that I can. Are you going to do the voice too? 
Use how do you his, do it? His... Give us your best Ferris Bueller's Bueller voice. I mean, how do you oh, do that? I don't think I can do it. <laughs> I am horrible with accents at all. For me, though, by the way, still like one of top three comedies of all time for me. Mm. You know, just yeah, yeah. You there, Kent? All right, all right. It's good. Yeah, not great for you, Steve, but it's I good. Mean, you, know. you, you, you could swim there, but yeah. we did discuss yeah. your horrible taste long. in movies nope. last yeah. week. Nope. So. Yeah, okay. We should forgive you, Steve. <laughs> yeah, and. The Lord loves those who are Just delusional. Because, so I mean, obviously, I, I'm taking this a little bit more seriously than you guys as far as my movie watching goes because the masses, that's what I'll call you guys. Yeah, the masses. I mean, all yeah. right. All right. The two of us, Andrew. Independent. All right. Yeah. right there, man. Independent right thinkers there. here. You don't have to please everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, but let's break it down. You know, um, uh, deconstructionalism has gotten really popular in the, the mid to late 20th century with the postmodern movement. Um, you know, and I never, I never know how to pronounce his name correctly, but even out of like, um, linguistic theory and, and epistemology and things like that, people like Jacques Derrida, if I'm saying it right, it's like D E R R I D A. And there is a Derrida or Derrida. I think it it's Derrida. Right yeah. I just say it how it looks to me. Um, and, and thinkers like that, um, really challenging some of the modern philosophical assumptions. But uh, l- let's kind of cut beyond some of the, um, the specifics on it and just break it down to a lowest common denominator. Deconstructionalism at some base level is dissecting something or breaking something into its component pieces in order to try to understand it better, right? Um, how do I take this apart to kind of learn about it? And when I say take it apart, I'm not talking about like taking apart your TV or your car or something like that. But how do you take apart a belief system, a train of thought, a way of thinking, a philosophical assumption, a school of thought, you know, something like that? It's become um, somewhat fashionable lately for people to deconstruct their Christianity. And, you know, you know, and I hear more and more of people who are kind of what you would call the um, Christian celebrities of the 90s and 2000s now kind of coming out and um, uh, um, um, advertising, so to speak, that they're post-Christian and they're deconstructing their faith. And, uh, you know, I, I want to, I want to swing back to the state, the sage wisdom of, a uh, Ferris Bueller on this one. It's not that I support, and I'm going to use my word instead of his deconstructionalism, right? Or any ism for that matter, because in my opinion, isms are not good. A person should not believe in isms. They should believe and Bueller would say in me. Okay. Um, I would say in Jesus. And then he quotes the Beatles. Where John Lennon says, I don't believe in Beatles. I just believe in me. Oh, right. So deep. Not bad. <laughs> he was the walrus, though, Steve. Sure, yeah. He was the walrus. Master writer. So, no, it's not that I per se um, teach or support or, or, or support any ism for that matter, because at some level, any ism is a human construct that can have incredible good to it, but at some level is either not comprehensive enough or has internally fatal flaws. Um, I would say this is true of socialism. I would say this is true of capitalism. I would say this is true of modernism. I would say this is true of postmodernism. I would say this is true of deconstructionalism or any other ism that you want to kind of throw on the show, right? Every ism at some level is going to have flaws. Does that mean you got to throw it out completely? No, there's things to learn there. There's things to learn from breaking things down into its component parts, to, to examining your faith, to trying to take it apart, to go, why do I believe what I believe? Or why does this system develop in the way it does? And we should. However, the warning I like to give is some people like to take it apart and never rebuild it. Mm. And other people will take it apart and in the process, kill it. Mm. Yeah. You know, you can't dissect an animal without killing it, or at least you shouldn't right? 
And at some point, if you want to understand life by killing it and tearing it apart, you may have fundamentally negated the very thing you're trying to understand. So I think there's a some nuance to go in this. And, and I think it's a little too broad for me to say yes or no. And do I support it or agree with it or, or teach it? Um, and, and hopefully that's just been able to give some insider guidance into that one. Yeah, I like that. I think one of the, one of the aspects, or I guess a positive <laughs> aspect from that is just wrestling with your faith and, okay, this is what I grew up believing or what I'm being told. Do I agree with this? Am I looking at the Bible, not just taking it for granted that someone's telling me it's true, but it adds that personal responsibility to it. But I absolutely see where that can go too far or it can drive you crazy. Trying or to figure what often out. happens is it's, it's, um, I don't even like to use the phrase too far. I'm sure it's certainly capable but other sets of assumptions start coming into the process as you're deconstructing. Mm -hmm. And certain things are getting assumed that you're challenging this belief on the basis of another assumption that you're making that you're already de facto assuming is true. And so what you can do is spiral into having to deconstruct so many things that you spend a lifetime tearing down more than building up. Gotcha. Right? Yeah, uh, that makes sense. You know, none of this is trying to deny uh, a place for, for honest self-reflection. Or, or for better understanding what I believe or how things develop. And certainly we're talking at a lowest common denominator thing and without even getting into Derrida and others who have, you know, developed a system of thought with latent sets of assumptions beyond what we're talking here. Mm -hmm. um, but nonetheless, yeah. All right. How's that one for you? Peter's got a follow up. So uh, we got Peter joining us here. And I don't know if you could read it from there, Steve, but I'm kind of closer to the screen. Yeah, so let me give it a yeah. shout out here. Going so dot dot dot. Are you suggesting we not dissect and thoroughly investigate the faith and belief structure, lest it be killed, discovered to be null, etc.? I think it's fascinating, Peter, and I appreciate you kind of asking on this because um, it, it could really be taken that way. Um, and and I want to point out maybe one assumption. I'm going to deconstruct your statement. You're assuming that dissecting and thoroughly investigating are the same thing. I can thoroughly investigate people without dissecting people. Those are two different things. And I, and I don't think that's how you intend it, but that's the nuance I'm trying to make. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It, you're not negating critical thinking or anything like that. It's just not tearing apart for the sake of tearing apart. If that makes sense. Or often tearing apart for the sake of gaining mastery over it. Hmm. There is a tendency to want to be objective observers instead of immersed participants. Certainly within spirituality, and there's people who love to read theology but will never live it or practice it because at some point, the end goal is to put you into practice in life, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you can spend a lifetime dissecting and trying to stand over it like a lab and a scientist, you know, analyzing the faith, and you're just never going to discover the richness of it that way. Again, this is not binary. I am not suggesting that there isn't a place for good critical analysis. But I do see that as different as dissect and dissection. Well, and I think intent has a big big piece of, of this because you can dissect something, de deconstruct something, and build it up the way that you want it to be built up versus the way that it was intended to be built up. Or building it or, or just tearing it down just so I don't have to deal with it anymore. Sure, you can do that. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Going back question. to going back to movies, uh, says Steve right. pre- prefers uh, kicking and screaming. Yep, you are correct. That is a great movie. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's Will Ferrell <laughs> and Mike Ditka, and it's Mike so Ditka, funny. isn't it? Yes. Seriously, yes. did you claim right. that so your movie watching was highbrow? Because I don't uh, know that, that would fit that. Yeah, I don't know if that's fitting highbrow. <laughs> it's because, sophistication. No, it's because you don't understand it. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're, you're, you're only seeing the surface level things that many people would, I mean, that's all I can expect. So there's deeper But there's plots. much deeper things you going have on to, in that movie. You have to deconstruct it a little bit. You've got to deconstruct that one? Yeah, yeah, all right, all right. Thanks, Kent. Yeah, for, for next week, Steve, we want you to uh, deconstruct kicking and screaming in your uh, Huskers wear. I've already been part of that church. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough of movies. <laughs> okay, moving ahead. Still not good at those transitions. I think you do a beautiful. Just Andrew. next, next question. Thumbs up. Andrew. Next on Facebook. Thumbs do up it. for Andrew. And a beautiful <laughs> transitions here today. We're going through a lot. World sport, man. I like it. I like yeah. it. Um, let's see. If everyone sins and we're not supposed to celebrate sin, how can a Christian justify going to a gay wedding as a wedding is a celebration? Hmm. Okay, so let me see if I could read this back because I don't see these in front of me. If a Christian is not supposed to sin, let's take that as a premise. Christian is not supposed to sin. And therefore, by extension, you're not supposed to celebrate sin. It's nothing to, to rejoice in or gloat over or find glory or pride in or something like that, right? And the follow-up then is, how then can a Christian go to a gay wedding and how does it conclude? As as a wedding is a celebration. As that a wedding event. is a celebration. Um, I don't equate a wedding to celebration. The point of a wedding is not to celebrate. That is a byproduct of many weddings, not all, but some. Um, but, but that's not the purpose of a wedding. And, and if you're getting married to celebrate, um, I would just encourage you to maybe check your motives on that and, and what you're trying to get out of that. Um, I'm, I'm not going to avoid this question. I'm going to spin around, but tangentially, this is actually one of the big um, frustrations, I guess, you could say that I have in the modern day wedding movement, where I will see people spend easily $40,000 preparing for a five-hour event that in reality, most guests don't even want to go to, don't <laughs> thoroughly enjoy, and then spend absolutely no time working on their marriage, Right? They will invest more time and energy and money into a six-hour party than, than what really matters. And then you do a, a one-hour marriage counseling session before. Yeah. Like, yeah. It seems backwards. So, you know, the, the entire question, of course, is predicated on the, the biblical idea that, that homosexuality is sinful. It is not according to God's plan. And that isn't to say that God... Um, hates someone who struggles with same-sex attraction or someone who's practiced homosexuality or something like that. No, 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 no. God loves you. Um, God meets all of us right where we're at. We all have our own issues, struggles, um, attractions, things in this life, um, both for good and not, right? So what what I'm not trying to do is is, is set up some kind of class distinction here um, by saying that, but I'm just kind of stating the, the, the biblical fact that it talks about within sexuality that homosexuality would be sinful. And so, therefore, the question is, can I go to a gay wedding, I guess, or how can I go to a wedding? Or, or it even seems a little bit more pointed of looking to defend the choice of not going to a gay wedding because it seems to celebrate it. Well, there's a number of reasons you can go to a wedding. 
um, often has very little to do with celebration. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you go to show someone um, just your support. Sometimes you go simply to witness it from a a, a value neutral perspective. Sometimes there's other prevailing factors um, that you don't even want to go. Right. And and how how many people have gotten invited to a coworker's wedding that they have absolutely no desire to go to, but they do it because either it solves some issues later on in the relationship. Right. Or B, just to be supportive of the person, even though they don't want to be there to show I value you, even though I might not want to be here. And this this applies far more deeply than just um, a gay wedding. I mean, you can go into divorce situations. You can go into heterosexual weddings where there's a parent who simply does not like the person that their son or daughter has chosen, hetero or homosexual in relation, right? And yet, even if you think they're getting married for the wrong reason, even if you don't like the union that's taking place, even if you don't agree with what's going on, it doesn't de facto prevent or preclude attendance as though somehow that is a statement of celebration. No. Equally, I'm not saying that you got to go to every wedding. Oh, my gosh, I would die, right? Um, um, you know, in my trade, if that was the case. And certainly if um, you're wrestling through the nature of this and conscience dictates that you have to do other thing and whatever the situation might be, a gay wedding or another situation, um, you need to listen to that and stay sensitive to that. But but realize that not everyone is going to come down on the same factor. And as long as um, we can respect the choices that each other are making, um, in why we may or may not attend, we can treat each other humbly, you know, lovingly, despite the fact, sincerely, um, and kindly. It, it cuts through a lot. Does that solve all the issues? No, of course it doesn't. But the relationship is far more important than the statement often being made, right? Yeah, and I think that goes back to what we talked about last week a little bit: is how do you show love to someone without, you know, contoning their behavior or celebrating in this thing or not being judgmental. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that would be a prime example of that, yeah. of you're loving the person and supporting your relationship with them, but you don't, that doesn't mean that you're sinning by celebrating this. Mm. No, or certainly, yeah, could be. Right. Right. Yeah. Great question. Thanks for asking. Gene uh, D'Amato. Yeah, All right. Could we be living in the last days? Yeah. Could we be living in the last days? Actually, we absolutely are living in the last days. And I say that not because um, it's my own thinking. I say it because that's actually Acts chapter 2 biblical. Peter calls this era that we live in that started in roughly 33 AD, mm-hmm. the last days. Um, I'm not going to give you the verse because you should read it in context, but it's in the middle. And just jump in and start reading Acts 2 from the beginning. And I guarantee you by the hit time you hit 47, you will not have expended more than three minutes of your life. So, yeah, we absolutely are in the last days. Which is always kind of funny to me because I think God has a, a slightly different definition of what last means <laughs> than, than what I do because I hear last and it's like, whoa, it's like it's, it's coming any moment. But that's precisely how God wants us to think and live mm-hmm. as though urgency. it could be coming with, yeah, with urgency mm-hmm. any moment. That made me think of if you're working out with a trainer or someone they're like, oh, just one more rest. <laughs> yeah, just right, one more. Right. And then you could do that. Okay, one more set. Yeah. One more set. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I thought it was the last one. <laughs> I find myself even like, <clears throat> so this week, well, our, one of our first songs is Even So Come, mm. which will be a church ready for you. You know, Jesus come soon, right? Mm-hmm. And even through the song, I get impatient because I'm like, I just want him to come 
right in here before we even get to the bridge. Yeah. You know, can you just come? Uh, you got to hit the bridge, though. Yeah, the bridge is great. Behind I love that song. At the same song. time, if I'm going to trade one for the other, let's bypass <laughs> the bridge. Jesus is here. I love that song, but I always think about this when we sing it. How many people aren't actually singing I the know. words? Yeah. Don't act, you know you're just caught up in the tune or caught up in the emotion of it or, or something like that, but but is is the prayer really come Lord Jesus mm-hmm. right? Which is actually the last words of the Bible, you know. Yeah, I'm coming soon. Come Lord Jesus. Amen. Boom. Done. Close the book. Yeah, that's yeah, always been wild. One, one thing that I've not not wrestled with, but I've always thought when there's tragedy in the world or something like that, you, I think you hear a lot of that you know, Jesus come soon, Jesus come soon. Mm-hmm. But I always go to the other side of that of, okay, well then that this is your last chance to, you know, share the word with someone, share the faith with, with someone. Like, are you, do you know what you're asking for? Like, are you, are you, are you there? Right. And I love um, those, pa- those passages like Romans two or first Peter, you know, three things like that, where it talks about God's patience, you know, not wanting anyone to be judged, but all to come to repentance and so God seems to delay in which that means evil is tolerated and suffering is tolerated longer because he doesn't want to bring about the vindication that he inevitably will when he returns again. They don't want to be on the wrong side of that one. Yeah. Well, and then there's the the evil side of me, <laughs> which comes out quite a bit. <laughs> especially, especially in your clothing choices. You know? no, yeah, okay. Whatever. Anywho, but it's like, you know, you see a lot of the stuff that's going on, you know, today. And you know, so before I got here, I watched a little bit of the of the uh, uh, four Olympians were were testifying today as mm. far as sexual abuse that was happening. Mm. And Simone Biles was one of them. And so I, I didn't yeah, realize young girls. I didn't realize she was a part of that. that. Yeah, right. Right. But anyway, it was this failed. uh process of some FBI guys and whatnot. And and so I think about the the harm that they have caused by not handling the issue and just kind of washing over it. Yeah. And so w- when I think about Jesus coming, I think about, hmm, man, I really hope he does come because they need to get what they deserve. Not looking internally at what I deserve. No, sure, it's always mm. easier to point, right? But it's yeah. like, okay, so it, it is my desire for Jesus to come. Is that selfish? Mm. You know, like, because what what about the people that just don't know him, mm-hmm. you know, or won't have that opportunity? And so then, of course, comes the urgency and like, okay, get your eyes off of yourself and look outside of yourself. And and you have to look at the the other piece of this, which is eternity. You know, so it's like, yeah, those people are probably, you know, uh, doomed, I would say, um, if they don't know who Jesus is. And so, but it is such a conflicting, it it is saddening, but isn't a conflicting place. uh, And you see this throughout the Bible, where at one hand you're crying out, How long, O Lord, screaming for vindication and for justice to be done. And then yet at the same time, desiring mercy for those that you see who are. When hate turns to pity, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. When, when you start seeing the broken, sinful, evil people of this world, but but developing a pity for them, and maybe through self-identification with them, maybe through some kind of resonance with them, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a very conflicting, yep. emotionally conflicting yep. kind of place. You wrestle, yeah. you have to wrestle with it. Yeah, that makes me think of. There's been several examples of this in the last few years, but 
it, there's a, a you know a, a murder happens or some other crime to that fact, then you see the family come out and forgive the person who committed that crime or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it, it always kind of frustrates me a little bit. Like, ah, you should be angry at them, and like this is horrible. But then there's, I mean, that that's God working in their hearts and working in their lives to get them to that point where they can do that. Mm-hmm. So it's it, a little like. Uh, I wish I had that level of faith or <laughs> compassion or grace or forgiveness. Um, and it's a little bit of jealousy in there, honestly. Oh my gosh. I, and I so hear you, Andrew, but you know, the hard thing about that is the way that God brings that into your life is through experience. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And so you're basically kind of like inviting Lord. <laughs> it's like, you know what? For patience. Let me be hurt by <laughs> someone wrongly, you know? Yeah. It's like praying for patience. You got yeah. it. Right. Yeah. A little bit frightening, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, just give it to me, God. Just just give me that kind of demeanor to yeah. don't mold me in the process. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You want the end result, but not the yeah. work it takes to get, get to that point. I used to have this friend in high school that was uh, totally unathletic and, uh, you know, about as straight-laced and, and conservative as guys you can meet. But uh, he's kind of flabby. And uh, he just kind of found that, you know, hey, what if I do steroids? Oh. And, you know, and I can just get like, you know, jacked here, you know, and get ripped. But then he found out that you actually have to work out when you use them. <laughs> he thought he could just give himself like the shot and it would just and like kind just of like grow. transform. And that threw it all out the window right there. The steroid day was like done. At that so what point. do steroids do when you don't work out? <laughs> yeah. Give you acne? I don't know, I, man. <laughs> make you angry? Make yeah. you angry? But no, you know, I think, isn't that how we often want it with God? We want the spirit of God to come infuse us. And magically make us different without developing us in the process. Yeah, absolutely. I wish I had a six pack of abs, but I don't do sit ups. So, like, <laughs> oh, it's go. not going to happen. It's never going to happen. I went for the keg. Um, just want to let everybody know thanks for your tuning in to 216 the net. This is questions you never thought you could ask in church. If you have questions, text them to 815 314 0363 any day of the week. You don't have to do it while they're on the air. That'll go right into the mailbag. We'll answer them live right here on the air once we get them. So if you're traveling along, listening to this podcast or a show at some other time, question pops into your head, go ahead and text it to 815-314-0363 and, uh, and, and then listen in because we'll, we'll get you. And check out uh, Sunday mornings, right, at fellowshipoffaith.org. O-R-G. Uh, I can share that up on the screen as well. Look at that. There it is. There it is. Um, All right. And uh, great stuff to just uh, listen to the gospel and be part of the community. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, if you want to hear uh, Even So Come. Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. Even So Maybe, Come. Right? if the right. audio is working. <laughs> <laughs> That's not my – oh, wait, that is my job. Yeah. They, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Whoops. Uh, we could, should be good this week. Could you help out with that? <laughs> Thanks for keeping us on the, on track, Kent. Yeah, um, when you realize you've gone 50 minutes and not told people what they're listening right. to. <laughs> what is this? Uh, let's jump into this. Uh, were the Gospels written as a timeline of Jesus' life or to make believers out of certain churches? Yes. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> yeah, I think. I have to think about that question for a second. Yeah. Were the gospels written as timelines of Jesus life or to make or, believers out of certain churches? Yeah. It, it really isn't an or um, they have multiple purpose. And certainly both of those are true. It is giving the story of Jesus, um, the timeline of Jesus or the biography of Jesus, if you want. And each of the biographers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just like biographers today, 
um, brings out his own insights, um, has his own emphases, um, structures them differently, you know, things like that, of course. But yes, the fundamental goal at, at the point is not just to give you a history lesson on Jesus, but to introduce you to Jesus, who they portray as the living God, um, so that you, you meet him, you fall in love with him, you want to follow him, you want to become one of his disciples, or what we more simply refer to as a believer, so to speak. Yeah. Well, yeah. Then, uh, I should unmute my microphone. <laughs> that, that hopefully, you were, hopefully you were He's, unmuted earlier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Silence. So if, if it is written that way, then why does he disappear between like ages 12 and whatever, 30 years? <laughs> yeah, right. So if it is a biography, why does Jesus like disappear and get like no airtime? Zero. Like basically, well, even Mark, you don't get any airtime until he's about age 30. Right. right. John is very much the same way. Matthew and Luke are the only ones that give any infancy or Christmas as we think of it narrative. And Luke gives like one instance when he's like a 12 year old kid, right. you know, Matthew will take you to about two years old and poof, disappear. Um, because at some point, all writing is selective. Um, there is no such thing as a completely comprehensive account of anything in this world, written or verbal. And, and so it, you, you're forced to back up and go, what is the point that this biographer is trying to make? And those are going to be the facts that that biographer chooses to dwell in on. And, uh, you know, and it's so frustrating because man alive, like, don't we want to know, right? Don't we absolutely want to know? We want all these like uh, points of interest about, you know, what did he look like and what was his favorite color of ice cream and what girl did he first have a crush on and, you know, and on and on and on and on. And it just doesn't give it because it's, it's completely peripheral Mm -hmm. to the story that the gospel writers are trying to tell and as tina says right teenagers are annoying anyway yeah <laughs> would you want someone would, to buy uh biographically explain your teenage years oh my that's not gosh. the right way to say that uh if you ever want to read a great book and i'm butching the the title here i think a little bit but i think it's called the gospel according to biff biff <laughs> yeah and, and and it's you know and biff is <laughs> basically Jesus boyhood friend. It's like best friend. It's best bud, you, you know, like growing yeah, up. Yeah. And, and of course it's completely farcical and, and, and somewhat irreverent, but it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. But uh, gospel according to Biff, if you want to get those lost years there. Right. It, <laughs> yeah. And I think where you were going with that, the, to answer your question, Andrew, no, no, my uh, teenage years. Uh, no like, what question. Yeah, yeah. The question you just asked. You don't want someone dictating your, <laughs> <laughs> no. And think about like, I am so happy and grateful that social media and Ooh. smartphones were not around Amen. when I was a kid. Can you imagine? Oh right? my gosh. Horrible, horrible stuff. I do horrible stuff now. <laughs> that <laughs> that, that was, part hasn't this changed. This was much worse. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And I think another one kind of along the same lines of the, talking about the gospels and how, how they were written, what they were written about. Um, what are your thoughts on the possibility of the Bible not being infallible due to translation errors? Mm. So along the same lines of why was it written? How was it written? That yeah. Episode? So, so I want to answer this very, very specifically because I think there's actually some um, misconceptions that exist in the question itself. Mm-hmm. So let me repeat it again, or Andrew better put, so we get it word for word. Give it to us one more time. What are your thoughts on the possibility of the Bible not being infallible due to translation errors? Yeah, what are the thoughts about the Bible not being infallible due to translation errors? Of course, um, uh, the Judeo-Christian worldview holds the Bible to be the infallible word of God. But the problem is people use certain terms synonymously 
when they shouldn't. Infallible does not mean inerrant. Um, it is a different um, conception. Um, inerrance or inerrancy or inerrant refers to there not being error. So it's inerrant, right? Right. No error there. The, the, the negation of error to say that everything is true and that there's um, no errors. And I think that our, our, our person submitting the question today is possibly confusing fallibility with errancy. Um, and, and I'll answer both questions. And by the way, thank you for asking it. It's a very common misconception people have. And I, and I appreciate you airing this one out. Um, and honestly, way too many people I find are a little too afraid to ask this question. And, and they really should. So what is infallibility and what is inerrancy? I'm looking at the clock here to see what kind of time I got. All right. Flip notes. We can continue. <laughs> infallibility has to do with what the word of God will accomplish. And fundamentally, what the word of God is meant to accomplish is birthing faith and inclination towards God, which could, of course, result in the fruit of like repentance or conviction or encouragement or edification or whatever it happens to be. But fundamentally, it's saying that the purpose for which the word of God will not fail. That's what infallibility means. And I love like Isaiah 55, where it talks about as the rain comes down to earth and soaks the earth so that things will blossom and grow. So is the word of God, Yahweh says, that will depart from my mouth. It comes and it penetrates the human life and the human heart and has an effect. So I bring this up because something can be wrong and still not fail, right? Mm -hmm. you, can, you can play an imperfect game and still win infallibility and inerrancy are not the same thing. So let's start there. But now let's move on, I think, towards the intent. And that is inerrancy. Well, when people talk about inerrancy, or at least people um, who study this more fully, um, and, and more broadly speaking in the Christian community, there are exceptions to what I'm about to say. But generally speaking, from, from very devoted, what I would call Bible-believing Christians and scholars, when they talk about inerrancy, they are talking about inerrancy in the original manuscripts and not in translations. There are very few people who would agree um, or, or think that one particular translation has, has become the standard for all space and time by which all Christians should believe and follow. Now, now you do see examples of this here and again. There was the King James only movement, you know, for a while that certainly still exists in certain pockets and. And uh, even within the textual manuscripts behind it, some that will say, well, this has to be the one pure line, the majority text, and, you know, things like that, or the, uh, the Byzantine text types, if you will, um, basically is a way of backing up the King James only theory. Uh, but even today, certain people, you know, if you cut your teeth on the NIV, might tend to be, you know, NIV exclusivists or, or Dewey Rhymes or, you know, whatever it happens to be. But don't let the question of translation get in the way of what we mean by inerrancy either, which means that when Paul or Mark or Peter or James or Obadiah or whoever it happens to be wrote this, that they actually wrote what was true, right? That's basically what we're getting down to. And if a translation, uh, you know, an editor, you know, misprints something, I think it's fifth edition at the King James Bible. Um, they call it the sinner's edition. It might be the sixth edition, <laughs> but uh, um, when they come to the sixth commandment, or at least the sixth commandment in a, in a, a Roman Catholic and, and Lutheran kind of ordering, which is um, thou shalt not commit adultery, mm. which of course um, is the King James way of putting it. They inadvertently let out the word not 
Oh, whoops. so it says thou shalt commit adultery. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's typographical. Sometimes um, it's just the evolution of language. But uh, again, that that doesn't in any way um, affect or threaten. I like that you know, term, inerrancy though, or the sinner's edition. Because hmm. I mean, Isn't that great. That's every edition. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I kind of like that. Uh, Michael asked, uh, "What translation are each of you reading?" Um, you know, we're, we're, uh, it's a great question, Michael. Thanks for asking. I think we got to hit this one quick because we're, uh, right down yeah. into the final moments of, of the broadcast. But Steve, what do you use? Um, typically NIV, but I also go through with the message. I go through, um, new living transit or tra- NLT. NLT as well. Um, okay. Depends on what I'm looking at. Yeah. Because yeah. I think there's some of them that, that have a better description than others. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. depending on where you're at, Andrew, what do you use? Uh, I, I mean, I love NIV, the 84 version. Um, I don't like the old NIV, the not old, the real old no, NIV, but not the, the really, really old. Yeah. Um, but then again, th- I like jumping around to compare and contrast and see, okay, how is this, you know, this translator, this translation communicating this in a different way? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I encourage you to, uh, to compare and use multiple translations as well. I grew up on the NIV, not originally, but you know, early on in elementary school, 84, but I use the 11 because that's what's in the digital formats now. NRSV, um, Christian Standard, the Greek, the Hebrew, NLT, the message. It just varies on what you're doing. But, Mm -hmm. you know, great question. We got to wrap this up one uh, here today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us. Great questions. As always, you can text them to 815-314-0363. We do this podcast live every Wednesday, 1230 Central Standard Time. But even if we're not live, like Ken said earlier, you can text your questions in. They'll go into our inbox. Anything on God, life, Christianity, the Bible, no judgment here, nothing to be embarrassed of, nothing to be ashamed of, nothing is too out of bounds, nothing's out of reach, nothing's too simple, nothing's too complex. Text them in. God bless, and uh, let's roll. Gotcha.